Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society, and I am still buzzing from our live show this past Sunday. Such a fun show. I can't wait for you to hear the recordings. Two very different pilots, both great. Both should be on the air. These live shows are really so much fun. If you're in L.A., make sure you follow us on social media so you don't miss out on one of these. This is the after show for Localized with my interview with Alex Burnett and Brendan McCarthy. You know, the true story of the doctor, who's the main character in the Localized pilot, the the real person that the character is based on is so wild. It's actually wilder even than the character in the pilot, who's a pretty wild character. Alex talks about his personal connection to this from having lived on Nantucket, and they talk about how much persistence it took to get this thing sold. Uh, you know, And these guys didn't have a ton of experience. They'd both only written on Grace and Frankie when they sold the show, and they were paired with Mitch Hurwitz, probably best known as the creator of Arrested Development, Alex and Brendan talk about all that they learned from working with Mitch and what that process was like, and just what the process was like of taking this nonfiction book by Pam Bellick and turning it into this incredibly funny and charming show. Uh, So here's my conversation with Alex Burnett and Brendan McCarthy after a brief message. From the Twisted Minds, that brought you The Adventure Zone, Balance and amnesty and graduation and ether sea and steeplechase and ultra space and all the other ones the McElroy brothers and dad are proud to reveal a bold vision for the future of actual play podcasting it's um it's called the adventure zone versus dracula yeah we're gonna kill dracula's ass. Ah! We're gonna, well we're gonna attempt we haven't recorded all of it yet we will attempt to kill dracula's ah! The Avengers M versus Dracula. Yes, a season I will be running uh, using the D&D 5th edition uh, rule set. And there's two episodes out for you to listen to right now. We hope you will join us. Same bat time, same bat channel. For and bats. I see what you did there. All right, Alex and Brendan. So psyched to talk to you guys about this script. And uh, why don't you just, so people know who's who, why don't you just introduce yourselves? I, I am Alex. I am Brendan McCarthy. All right. That's pretty good. And you guys sound very different. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks so much for having us, man. Yeah. We're we're really thrilled to be here and huge, huge fans of the pod. Oh, yeah. cool. I love I love to hear that. Um, well, I really I love the script and um, oh, I, I but I, I kind of want to you guys kind of came out of nowhere for me. Um, you know, Billy, our mutual uh, friend, you know, sort of yeah. turned me on to the script and you and guys because you guys worked on Grace and Frankie together. Um, but tell uh, tell me your your story. I'm sure you've told it many times in many <laughs> meetings, but do do your spiel of where you came from and how you got here. I um I my my first writing job was on Grace and Frankie. Marta Kaufman and Howard Morris uh, plucked me from obscurity, as I, they did with Alex as well. I had um, written a totally unproducible play that they read, um, and hired me. And within short order, um, and it was my dream, you know, like I'm, like it's Alex's. 
So how do you but back up because you don't just like people don't just get a play in front of Marta Kaufman and Howard Morris. Brandon like people Howard. are are kind of like how the hell? <laughs> I mean, had you let's back up like yeah. even farther before we oh get sure Frankie. Yeah. So like where are you from and yeah, what was your first like how did you get <laughs> even in your foot in the door to get something written? I so I'm I grew up in Seattle, um and went to I like I'm sure a lot of people that you've interviewed went to new york university um uh and um discovered early on that i didn't have enough money to make my own movies while i was there and so decided to get into writing uh and um start yeah start really started writing plays and then movies for like grad students to try to get my name on some credits um a lot of like really really bad stuff and then I got um, I got hired right out of school by Paul Sims, um, creator of news radio and has gone on to be sure genius, a massive television genius. Um, he hired me as a as a writer's assistant on a um, an ill-fated NBC pilot he had called Beach Lane. And that really. Yeah, it was with was uh, Matthew, Matthew Broderick. Broderick. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We filmed we filmed in front of a live studio audience at the Roosevelt Hotel, um, <laughs> and it was a dream. I mean, I loved it, and if they knew what they were doing, it would be it would have run for ten years. But um, the network that is. Uh, how did Paul? How did you get you're connected with Paul Sims and how did that uh, work? Paul was the godfather of a friend of mine who gave him a script. <laughs> I just begged him. I just begged him. And uh, I remember uh, Paul said, um, this is like kind of a mess, but there's three three really good jokes. And if I ever do something again, I'll let you know. And he did. He came through. Wow. He's, he's yeah, definitely why I'm here. I owe him everything. Um, and he just kind of got me into the business and uh, I thought that was going to be my job. And then it didn't happen. And I was devastated. Um, and I said, well, man, what are we doing next? And he said, I'm doing nothing. You need to move <laughs> to Los Angeles. And that's what I did. Um, and kind of worked my way up as a writer's assistant and got um, two very good friends, Barry Safchik and Michael Platt sent my stuff into Marta and Howard after working on another ill-fated show called betas on amazon um, oh, right one of the what's first your favorite amazon? Amazon, one of the first amazon uh right it was like alpha house and betas right yes, two. yes which was bizarre <laughs> yeah. um and yeah sent sent my stuff in and i was lucky enough to get a meeting and we were off and running and that's right. where i met this guy okay so alex let's hear yeah. let's hear your tale so i am i am from massachusetts um and, you know, I'd always wanted to write television comedy, um, moved out to L.A. I didn't have many connections. So I, I was an EMT in Massachusetts. I came out to L.A. I was an EMT here uh, until I, I got a PA job on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, um, which, you know, was a was a blast. Um, I My claim to fame was I was the original back end of Secretariat, which in a sliding doors <laughs> event, if I had not made the career decisions I have, I would have horse money because so I 
left. Secretariat had been out of theaters for like six weeks at this point. And I really wanted to be a writer. And there weren't, you know, weren't a lot of opportunities on late night shows because no one leaves, you know. So uh, I had an opportunity to go be a writer's assistant on a show. And I was thinking, well, this, I mean, because when you're on the show as Secretariat, I would make more for that one appearance than I would all week as a PA. So, I mean, it was a big bump. And I remember going to the head writer, Ted, thinking like, Craig's not going to do this much more, is he? And Ted's like, no, he's going to get bored with it. You should definitely take the job, leave. Um, Craig ended up doing that bit for the remaining like five years of his show. <laughs> I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to be that stupid horse. Okay. <laughs> I think the week after I left, Craig sent the horse to Scotland, to New York, was on like Kimmel, Fallon, the Today Show. I mean, it just was crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, a huge tactical error. You made a huge error. <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, I, I became a writer's assistant on, um, a lot of dramas and it, I bounced around on a lot of shows that were short lived. And I ended up working for Jason Kadams on about a boy and parenthood. And, um, there were two writers on about a boy that knew Marta. I mean, Mark Cooner, Mark Cooner, yeah. you know, got a start on friends. And then my friend, Hannah Friedman, I guess, knew, knew Marta from something. And they both said, oh, there's a new show, Grace and Frankie. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, they're not going to hire me. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yes. And so I think even Mark was like, they're not going to hire you, but if they do, it'll be great for you. Uh, <laughs> and he was right. I mean, you know, I, I, I came on season two, season one hadn't come out yet. So, you know, it's that Netflix model where you had no idea what the show was. So I came on season two, we started season two, um, as a writer's assistant and, you know, I was pretty, um, over being basically, you know, take a gamble and I'm going to start pitching jokes, you know, and it worked out. Um, you know, Marta promoted me to writer, uh, Brennan, you know, worked with Brendan for many years and we were separate, but I, for, for, for many seasons, I had this pitch on Grace and Frankie that would go nowhere. Uh, and it became a thing that I just would repackage every season and try and see how long I could pitch it before they realized it's the same pitch. <laughs> uh, and it was based on uh, this obsession I have with the Source family. Um, yeah. so, you know, about other yard. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I I really wanted on Grace and Frankie to be revealed that Lily Tomlin's character had actually pushed Father Yod off that cliff, that that it actually he didn't jump to his death that he, she put in you know, like that changed everything and so i mean it wasn't going nowhere it was a i mean but i got great joy out of finding ways to pitch it longer and longer without my bosses figuring it out and brendan actually came to me once he was like you gotta stop this <laughs> <laughs> he said but it's a really funny idea for a show and so brendan had some pitches on it and we ended up writing this pilot that that is the only thing i think i've ever had that people have been interested in i don't know who Brendan. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean so we wrote this script and 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 um you know at the same time it's one of those things where you have the meetings and they say oh we love the script what else what else do you have what else do you want to do and i for years had wanted to do this book called island practice i did not have the rights to it um i didn't think it was possible but at, at every meeting i'd say hey I'd love to do island practice. And eventually my agent called and says, stop bringing up this book. Um, we, can, we can get you guys involved with this book if you want. I said, yeah, I know I'd love to. So we we met the author. And at the time we were meeting with Mitch Hurwitz on maybe about this, the script we wrote. 
And then the source family base. We, we okay. had we had gotten legal reasons is not the source family. Right. OK, sure. We <laughs> had gotten loosely inspired by the source. Yeah, family. That is right. We had gotten our script to Mitch. And because we kept we Burns is right. We kept having these meetings where they're like, we love this. What do you guys want to do? And we'd say this. this. And they say, well, not this. <laughs> and um, and we got it. We got it to Mitch and we had a meeting with him on a Monday. And which is like our I mean, our dream. He's it was our, like finding out heaven was real. I mean, I was still he's our hero, like, obviously. Yeah. And so we get a meeting with him. And on Monday, he says, guys, uh, love, love this. I, I we're this is what we're doing. And then we had a meeting on Tuesday where he was like, hey, I talked to all the agents and everybody. And nobody wants to do this. <laughs> Um, and, and what's this book you guys are doing, what is this book? And yeah, Alex had, Alex had turned me on to Pam, Pam Bellock, who's a, a Pulitzer winning New York times, um, writer. Uh, he turned me on to this book and yeah, we were obsessed. And so, so Arrested Development is, is, I assume more than like the John LaRoquette show is what made Mitch Hurwitz your, uh, <laughs> yes. your, your yeah. comedy hero. It, no. It yeah. Was, you'd have to talk to Mitch, but he'd agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, we can admit it was a very off balance relationship working with Mitch Hurwitz. I mean, it was, I had to pump the brakes. It would turn into the Chris Farley show every time. Be like, Hey, remember when you did this bit on Arrested Development? That was really cool. Like, I mean, that's all. You really just wanna, he was always very kind and generous and, you know, would humor us when we would just pepper him with Arrested Development questions. And, but I mean, it's not just Arrested. I mean, I love Lady the, Dynamite. Lady Dynamite was amazing. The last, my, my dad has implored me to get back into the Golden Girls. Golden Girls and every episode with Mitch's name on it is laugh out loud, killer funny. No, no he's just, you know. He, he was um he was maybe my first meeting. It was one of my first couple meetings in show business. Was no way was with Mitch. Yeah, uh, he was at, at Wit Thomas. Uh, my first job was on a show called Minor Adjustments, which was a Wit Thomas show. At the same time, he was doing the John Larroquette show. Awesome, and, uh, but yeah. Um, so okay, so you guys, all right, so. Um, and, and the book, so the book was really, Alex, just something that you had come across on your own. So I had, I had, as a child, lived on Nantucket. Um, okay. Not, I mean, this is the distinction I think you have to do in LA with, with, with the executive class. Uh, we did not summer on Nantucket. We lived on Nantucket. You know, it was a, there was a, an unfortunate distinction uh, there. <laughs> uh, and so the book was about there's one island doctor and in real life his wife was at the time you know involved in the school and the guidance counselor so i had in the book i knew some of the people in the book oh wow so when the book came out i think i want to say like 10 years ago i was i was more nobody than i am now remember immediately trying to get the rights and imagine had got them i mean snapped it up it's like oh okay mm -hmm. But, you know, I kept kept bringing it up over the years because, I, I mean, the book is just so I mean, it's. It's specific to a place, but I I do think it is an important story, I mean, because it is basically, you know, a lot of the background is, you know, how the corporatization of, you know, smaller, you know, hospitals has made it really difficult for average people to get decent care. Right. And it is interesting on an island that that so many well-heeled people summer at that the people that live there you know if it weren't for this in, truly insane doctor that lives there um you know there would be it's it's it, i mean it's it's upstairs downstairs but it's more like around the corner downstairs. i mean it's right. just yeah, yeah. so it's it's 
it's it's just something I think is very is um you know specific to these this weird Massachusetts town, but relatable to a lot of people. And so I you know I had always wanted to do that that story, and I, I mean I still believe in it. I still hope someday someone we can do a version of this this show because yeah. it's so interesting. I mean the guy is very fascinating. Um, he's a lot to say. Yeah, I, I did. I haven't read the book, but I just uh, you know I read some reviews and whatever, and it's uh, it does seem absolutely insane. It doesn't yeah. seem like you, you you didn't push anything in in this pilot in terms of just how nuts no it really no, that was the challenge at the start because i mean yeah and, you know when we would send pages to people that had not read the book they're like oh you guys it's a little wacky we're like well, we didn't even put anything i mean we just plucked stuff we actually had to reel book. back yeah, would reel and back. i i remember when when alex first gave me the book feeling like um like the first time i watched the movie Fargo or something like it felt like a foreign film, even though it took mm -hmm. place here, you know, and that's how I felt about Nantucket. I had I'd never been and I had all these ideas about what it was. And then, in fact, it's this really delicate little portrait of the kind of community that is increasingly dying, you know, um, but just very, very um, blue collar, idiosyncratic and all watched over by this um this insane saint you know uh, <laughs> uh yeah it was instantly I mean, we can say he's a pain in the ass as well i mean massive yeah. but that's why he's so good that's so great yeah so did you yeah. know so Alex, did, you didn't know you never sort of saw him for medical care when you no, were living I, there no, no, no. But, i mean but did you did you didn't know, you know his wife yeah so you knew legend of so at the time i mean this is like what we find so quirky about him so i, I mean this is going to get a little in the weeds, but I do find it interesting. Bear with me. So deer are not indigenous to Nantucket. And then in the 1950s, some well-heeled sportsmen decided to ship over two deer for something to hunt. There are no predators to deer on the island. So, of course, the deer have blown out of proportion. Now, in most environments, the deer tick population is, I think, more tied to certain types of mice, which have a lot of predators, right? So everything stays in check. The deer ticks are able to replicate on this insane amount of deer on the island. So that, you know, there are so many tick-borne illnesses on Nantucket. I mean, as a child, I mean, like every kid I knew had Lyme disease like multiple times. I mean, <laughs> which the least bad of the, the shit you can get from these ticks. I mean, there are like very obscure, incurable illnesses. And, you know, Massachusetts is a very liberal place. And we like to pat ourselves on the back that we listen to experts if they're well-trained and well, this doctor is a well-trained expert. And so when I was living on the Island, there was a big battle he was having because he rightfully so said, basically, we got to execute all these deer. There's no way to fix this, this illness, unless we just straight up murk every deer on the Island. And you know what? Right. But the problem is that doesn't go over well in a liberal town. So he, I remember at the time, he was like printing up these stars. Now, this is a Harvard trained medical doctor who has a lot on his plate, but he was printing up these bumper stickers and they were the sarcastic bumper stickers about like saving the tick population on Nantucket because he was like so mad <laughs> that no, I mean, <laughs> this guy is a lot. So I remember like as a child, like those bumper stickers around and like, you know, he is both the town kook and a leader of the town, right? I mean, he's a lot there. I mean, I was, we moved off when I was young. So I never, but I um, was in high school, when he, but I think he was a, a football coach at the high school. Um, I mean, 
he's the obstetrician. He's, I mean, and fostering lots of kids. Yeah. Yeah. The darkness of the book we didn't touch um, is, you know, drug, there's a big drug problem, you know, Cape and the islands, you know, mainly I think because of the economics of it. And so he would really try and, I mean, again, he's a saint, he's a pain in the ass saint. He would try and help kids. He would, you know, foster a lot of kids, adopt kids, you know, try and he'd basically be, you know, your off the books therapist, right? If a kid's struggling and with drugs, he would try and, I mean, he is relentless. And so, you know, the book, 10 years old brings up the question, what happens when he's gone? Right. Cause he, I mean, the, the true statement is when he, the few times a year he leaves the Island, they bring in five doctors to replace. Him. Yeah. So uh, that I think is, you know, a good demonstration of how important he is and how much work he does that it, he's, he's not replaceable. And how are you going to get someone to agree to do this job? It's not the fancy Nantucket, you know, right. you want to be, you're you're not dealing with the billionaire yachts, you know, moored offshore. You're dealing with locals, and but the cost of living is still that of. No, right. he's a he's a perfectly molded person for the he place, is. and and we what one of the things that drew us to him, especially like now, is he's kind of a man for our time because he like he would have Rush Limbaugh playing in the waiting room but practices radical socialized medicine. <laughs> so like, he like everything he said and believed was this like far right stuff, but then he's a radical socialist. Yeah. So he, he was just this incredibly fascinating dichotomous dude. And this is how great he must be. The fact that Brendan was able to bring up Rush Limbaugh in our original pitches and they would still keep listening. I, think <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I eventually I told Brendan, I was like, don't talk about wrestling <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true yeah he's an incredible tv character like he should be you know in the spirit yeah. of like house and like you know play. Yeah. it's just like it just seems like there's so much there um yeah. so some of these like i love alistair in the pilot so much i mean part of this, you know brendan <laughs> hines just was just yeah, like fantastic but he um nailed are, it. Are, are, is that like that, I know that underground. I guess what you call him? You call him underground Jack, but from reading the review yeah. of the book, like underground Tom underground is Tom. like a re, is a real, very person. real, and very real like, dude. The, yeah. How about the like? Are the rest of the you know the way you sort of peopled the show? Are these based on other Nantucket yes. characters? So they're combinations of people. I mean, Alistair is a combination actually of someone in Nantucket, but then also this thing I'm obsessed with that I would love to do. There's this um, there's this man in Bangor, Maine, who runs a public access show and he does, I mean, an earnest late night talk show in the style of Letterman. And <laughs> it is art. So awesome. I mean, it is so, I mean, over the years he, you can, you can watch it all on YouTube, but he's clearly gotten a little bit more funding. So it gets a little bit more it's incredible, but it's not, it's not cynical. It's not sarcastic. It is an earnest attempt to do that style of show in a small local town and so i've just always been obsessed with this guy and like cable access and 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 what that means and so alistair i think got changed a bit originally alistair was more straight up to people on nantucket that i was aware of who are um novelists um and you know i so we also knew we we so, knew we yeah. we we have you know we've got the underground character we've got this crazy doctor we needed somebody to represent like um 
uh, the fancy boy faction of Nantucket, <laughs> and you need at least one fancy boy. Yeah. We also, um, I honestly, I mean, Burns, you can, uh, but when we started formulating the thing, we were like, how do we get Matt Barry in this television yeah. show? Yeah. That was it. Too. And we were pretty sure it was this guy. So we were just hoping Matthew Barry would be in it. <laughs> I think is like, yeah, a big yeah. part of that character. Um, did you, Brendan, did you ever go to Nantucket just to like see it for yourself during the Yeah, we had grand plans, man. We had <laughs> grand plans. I don't know. I we I didn't, but we I mean, all we did, we're like, well, we've got we've got Mitch. We've got Imagine. This thing is getting made. <laughs> um, we'll we're gonna write it out there. And we have we were we were I mean, we were uh yeah. These are Bre Brendan's feelings and Brendan's feelings only right now, by the way. I'm a I am I'm a <laughs> catastrophic optimist. Yeah. Um but um yeah no never never made it out man um we had planned a trip i think i mean i wanted to bring brandon during the worst <laughs> time of year but there's, yeah and so there's yes. this actually colloquially in nantucket you know beginning of the year is this week called hate week and it's historically where everyone hates everyone because <laughs> you know everything's closed you're stuck with the same people everything's gray there's no sunlight and so I, we had planned on going during hate week uh <laughs> you know there's like two restaurants i mean actually it's gotten a little better over the years i mean i think when i when i lived there only like five thousand people were there off season and now i think it might be close to a little less than 10. Mm. i think it is a little bit more I mean, I so my aunt and uncle lived on the Cape, and, and I remember we lived there um, on Nantucket. To get Chinese takeout would be very difficult, and they would get us Chinese takeout on the Cape, bring it to the airport, and the airport would just put it on the plane. <laughs> oh my gosh! And so we'd go to the airport to pick up the Chinese takeout or the Dunkin' Donuts uh, <laughs> because there was no Dunkin' Donuts on the island. Uh, and so, I mean, of course, that was pre nine eleven. I don't think. I don't think the planes will accept right. Chinese takeout from a stranger on the street anymore. But Alex, I'll tell you what, I'll stop bringing up Rush Limbaugh if you stop bringing up 9-11. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> maybe you could get stuff, just not soup, you know, the liquid yeah. could be a problem, but maybe you get some noodles. Yeah. Um, so wait, so you guys had, so you're both on staff. So, okay, so Brendan, you're a writer while Alex is a writer's assistant. Is that right? Or did you? I think I was a year ahead. Yeah. Brendan, a year I ahead. actually so, took Brendan's old job. So, Brendan was promoted season two to staff writer. And I, because of Brendan being promoted, there was a job. And, so, and then you, and then the next year in like season three, then you, you were promoted or season, season four. four. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you guys were on staff together. Uh, but was this the first thing you wrote? together like the cult know, show was that. the cult, the cult show, show right? yeah the cult show you actually did write a script for the cult show yeah. so that was yeah. your first oh yeah we were really movie. excited about it <laughs> we were delusional again you know we were right i mean we were on a show for seven years we weren't aware of i mean or just ignoring the environment changing environment of television you know while we're on we're like this is great grace and frankie longest running show on netflix it's gonna end people are gonna read our stuff you know we were <laughs> idiots we were made <laughs> And 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 Alex always had been. I mean, he was obsessed with cults, and I um, I'm a practicing Catholic, so a cult member. Um, <laughs> so was like you know drawn also drawn to it. We talked about it for years, and then when I think like each of us had tried to develop something like that didn't work out, 
And he was just like, will you, can we just write this? So we do something instead of like <laughs> killing ourselves. <laughs> so um, we got, we got really, really into it. We, we read a lot. Um, we both, we both love the source family. Yeah. I think when I'm like, so my wife has a corporate job and you know, she years ago came home with a, um, with a binder. Right. And it was basically, I mean, I don't even know what they called it in the corporate jargon, but it, I mean, it was basically like a manual on how to behave and how to act and all, you know the, the ethos of the environment I'm like oh my god this is a cult you know it was at first really and uh, we've had friends over the years that have you know worked for Netflix and I don't know if they they have that sort of handbook there and it's like oh my god that's a cult right I mean it's like oh these things are all over the place and you know Amazon cult Starbucks right you could yeah you know, is the definition when does a cult just become accepted as I mean and we're talking about the Catholic Church like like it's a cult of small thing but it, you know we just it's so we're obsessed with that notion and so we you know it, it seems like the whole country is pretty obsessed with cults in this moment like, I think so. it, yeah. yeah maybe someone will read what we wrote Who knows? i feel like we were five years ahead man we were, yeah um, it's just like yeah. and now maybe you're just a little too late, too late. I, totally yeah <laughs> um but was that transition to right you know to being partners on these projects was that like a pretty natural transition having been in a room together on grace and frankie like what was that yeah, uh, I mean, process I was, like once you started developing together it was so i mean you know the thing we wrote by ourselves was super easy you know i think working with mitch you know because we're both stressed and there, there are real stakes and we're we're including the outside world you know i mean i know for you know, myself i get nervous and you know brendan's a good i think a good counter to myself you know because mm -hmm. i could get on a zoom and really bum people out um, <laughs> and brendan brendan is good at not bumming people out uh I so i do what think was mitch doing like was he were you just like writing drafts and sending and getting notes yes. from him or what was yeah we so we we spent a lot of time kind of formulating he, I mean, unsurprisingly, was like, look, the characters have to be right. We, I think at, at one point we had a character named Sarah and he was like, no one's going to remember that name. <laughs> and we we remembered, oh yeah, this is the guy who wrote characters, Job, George Michael, Buster. Yeah. Um, no, there so was, first, I mean, first we like really, really drilled into character. Um, uh, and which was like, uh, um, you know, a masterclass, like, um, I, I just, we learned so much in such a short time. And then once we had that, we would get, we would get notes on drafts and his, his notes are wild, man. They're like, I've never seen anything. There's like addendums to addendums. Very organized. And he would pump them out instantly. Like we'd, we'd send him a draft and within 15 minutes, we'd have this, like this incredibly detailed eight page document with and it would be color coded, color coded. I mean, he knows the formatting of, I mean, the technical formatting of outlines. I mean, it was, it, you know, it's intimidating multiple ways. I mean, there was, I will say, there was one of the first things we sent him after it was gone. I mean, I think we had a fart joke in there. And he, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I guess we'll say it wasn't his favorite document. Yeah, he was bummed. Uh, he was bummed. And I remember immediately getting a phone call from him Imagine being like, did you send a fart joke to Mitch Hurwitz? <laughs> <laughs> but he was he he was so it was it was kind it was great because um he's so gracious you know and like um like warm. Let him down. and yeah we did we felt like we let him down yeah, we still 
we still to the he when it when it was all over he just sent us like the loveliest encouraging email that I'm, I, I, I can't imagine he meant because we failed so miserably, but it's just like, he, it, it was so, uh, it was a dream to work, to gave us. Yeah. He yeah. gave us so much that in return, we let him take us out. <laughs> People say not to judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Which is why here on Just the Zoo of Us, we judge them by so much more. We rate animals out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics, taking into consideration each animal's true strengths, like a pigeon's ability to tell a Monet from a Picasso or a polar bear's ability to play basketball. Guest experts like biologists, ecologists, and more join us to share their unique insight into the animal's world. Listen with friends and family of all ages on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Are there are there nuggets like that you carry with you? Things that he said, like oh that God. you can share oh. that are, you know, sort of writing general writing advice kinds of things. Absolutely. I mean, he he really he really drilled down on um, uh, like with characters. Don't be specific for specifics sake. Every every everybody needs something that is going to bump against everybody else in the script. So he really he really made us think about what about each person creates conflict with every other person in every scene. And that like drilling down and I wouldn't you say Alex like that was the big uh, like thing for me that was like oh it's it's not enough just to create an interesting character you better make sure they have built in conflict with every other character from jump. Yeah. I mean, that's clear if you watch Arrested Development that he knows that very well. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are still, I mean, dance documents he sent us that are specific to the script that, you know, they're valuable to read and, you know, not on days that you think you suck, but, on days you're feeling pretty good and you know maybe want some guidance like yeah read them and you know uh, i mean front loading the pot you know because again it's i wouldn't the thing i enjoyed so much about working with mitch is he's not one of those guys that thinks there's only one way to tell a story i mean that's right he's very open about you know there's a million ways to tell a story they just it needs to that's work right. right i mean there's no you know so his 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 rules if you want to call them that are very limited but they're very i mean smart i mean I don't think we ever like if Mitch was a professor, I don't think we ever got an A, but even just getting close made the writing better. And he he I think like he would always um, he was really good at um, uh, kind of soothing us in the in the aftermath of like studio notes, which, you know, are often mind boggling and like frustrating. And he would always say, like, guys they don't know what the show is yet. We don't know what the show is yet. You know, it doesn't matter. We are just trying to get off the beach. Like that's, that's it. And we will figure it out once the thing has been cast. That's when you start to kind of know what your show is, is when it's when you're casting it. But until then you just, you are, you know, you're throwing shit at a dartboard. It's not. Um, and, and that was like a nice, yeah, he would hold himself to the same standard he was holding us to, right? It didn't feel like someone, 
lecturing us or, you know, setting us out, right, to go fight a battle. I mean, he would, I mean, be open about trying to figure out the same things we were trying to figure out, you know, which which did make us feel less yeah. stupid, you know, at times when we're trying to figure out the story and, you know, what works, you know, because we, there were some dynamic things from the book and dynamic things we wanted to do, but, you know, tying it to something that someone wants to watch, you know, a hundred times, ideally over the years, you know, it's a different set of ingredients. So he also I mean, gave us the single best one-liner um, to put off a studio or network when they've given you a note and you're in the room with them, which is, oh yeah, we'll take a look at that, which I really like. Yeah. And I uh, didn't, know it, didn't know it before. And now it's with me oh, forever. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah. I've given that same advice to both yeah. myself and people who work with. That's, that's the response. Yeah. We'll take a look. Can't argue with, can't argue with, we'll take a look. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so you, what was, uh, so you sold to HBO max and, and, yes. and, and what was that? Like, what was that pitch? Like, you know, Mitch is in that pitch with you and who's like, is who's doing most of the talking and how did that pitch go with the three of you? So Mitch, Mitch does a little, little, um, hype at the beginning talking about the place and the idea and how he met us and what he likes and then we had a i mean scripted 100 percent pitch back and forth between brendan and myself uh you know obviously we haven't been doing this long i mean people because of course this is also at the back end of COVID, so everything's on zoom right so mm -hmm. you're not in a room anymore so the question of you know does visual do visuals help do they cause people not to pay attention you know so we had gone back and forth we ended up not using any visuals in the pitch which i think some people worried about i don't i mean because i'll do whatever helps but i don't i wish people didn't need the visuals in a pitch yeah. um you know especially on zoom because it does take up your attention you know so yeah we pitched the, i mean you know we had gone that, pitch, back that was a very friendly room i mean we yeah. we we pitched to Susanna makos over there um, who is like wonderful. Yeah. Um, and she she had been at Fox. She actually she's the only person that's ever purchased anything from me. She bought a show I wrote with my good friend David Buden when she was at Fox. And then she bought this thing at Max and I've never sold anything else. Um, so <laughs> I, I love her, you know, if she's listening or anybody she knows. Um, but she it was like pretty clear when we sat down, like Mitch could have said anything. I, I, no, that, that's I don't think that, I mean. I mean, oh, you don't think so? I, I I felt like, oh, she wants to work with Mitch. I mean, I I mean, it, I'm not an idiot. Having Mitch Hurwitz involved <laughs> yeah, yeah. helps everywhere, but you want to sell a comedy. But no, I mean, she was interested in, you know, I think maybe that's part of why maybe it didn't go. You know, they were at the time looking for a medical show, and this is a medical show. But what was important to us is that, truthfully, it doesn't take place in a hospital a lot, you know, as by the nature of where it is. And so I don't know if that's, ultimately what they want more about you know a, a hospital based comedy um or show um but it was in very enjoyable i mean you could tell that she quote got it i mean that was it was it was you know because again we're we're in the pitch we were very cognizant of the fact that okay we say nantucket some people are going to immediately think something right they're going to think it might be royal pains or you know a, a very well outfitted you know group of people and it's not that so we were very you know clear in the pitch trying to steer steer people that's true yeah. and, tuck it. 
And she completely understood. I mean, there were some pitches we had where at the end they still didn't understand why we weren't on a sailboat. You know, I definitely. <laughs> it's uh, true. You know. No, she was she was great. I honestly, if you ever have a chance to like, I, I know it's outside the format, but have her on here. She yeah. is a lesson in like how to be pitched to. She's just she makes it so, you know, like the whole experience is about like you're scared. They're a little scared for you that like they're also nervous. The whole experience yeah. is about mitigating fear, you know, and she does it instantly. She just laughs right away readily and is so engaged. Yeah, she's she's the she's the greatest. That was the worst when people would be muted on it. And you're just I mean, oh, know. and sometimes yeah, like, Zoom, you are pitching to some stone faces dude yeah that is like i just start swaying i'm so it's so nerve-wracking when they're clearly hating you or you can just see the eyeballs reading email oh god i wish i didn't notice that it's (laughs) a nightmare i pitched to some stony faces in person too which is also not not fun you know yeah i guess i was just say like whatever you just got to bring the energy into the room whatever you know don't worry about whatever energy they like you bring it all in and you yeah. just like you know just think i'm gonna tell this fun story that i enjoy and have fun doing it and like you know that's the only way because you know, early on pitching, I got thrown off so many times by yeah. like by being too aware of the reaction and and letting it like change right. the way you pitch and you're you know rushing through or like you know it, it's just it, it doesn't matter you know it's like the yeah. you know bands who talk about you know what there were four people in the audience we just did our we just went all out and did our show and it's just kind of like yeah. you gotta have that attitude. That's um, why Alex and I were pretty disciplined about having two shots before every pitch and it really. <laughs> For anyone listening, really does the trick. It's just got to take that edge off a little bit. Just take the edge off. He would grade us after every pitch. You know, I mean, you would call and be like, that was a B minus. <laughs> no, but sometimes what it was. What, what, yeah, but some of it was great. I mean, but there was once he referred to us as like a, was it after lunch matinee? He's like, that was an after lunch matinee. It, was, I mean, <laughs> it made us laugh so hard. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it was fine, but I mean, you need to do better. <laughs> um, and so uh you know i know how these things generally tend to end which is just like hey we love you guys and so sorry it just didn't work was there any sense of you know specific sense of why this didn't happen or is it just the usual i mean well we don't we might be the least informed people involved i mean we you know because we it was a time at hbo max when they seemed to be um uh, culling a lot right and Mm -hmm. yeah we we were working on our our revisions when that was happening thinking oh boy are we going to get a call before we turn in? And we didn't. And then it did kind of feel like when we turned in our visions, that's when someone was like, oh, yeah, these guys. Oh, yeah, no, we're not doing that. I mean, it, <laughs> it was like my my buddy about us. And then, like, oh, no, these guys. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> my, my my buddy, David Buden, who I the wonderful writer, um, likes to say that um, our script was such a disaster. It made HBO Max not exist. <laughs> <laughs> that we blew an entire company <laughs> oh man um yeah, yeah I mean, there never, was no yeah i mean there was no do you think they even read that final uh anyone read the final version i don't know yeah. i i don't know it was it was bad over there and like we were getting like updates from imagine like um hey are like are you guys reading the news <laughs> and um so i i i even myself i would say by the end wasn't super 
optimistic that it was going to happen. Did, did you ever, I was curious too, did you ever talk, I, I thought Adam Arkin was just like so amazing reading. Adam's one, he's a, fr- he's a friend. He's wonderful. Yeah. He, he, he's just, he, he was just so great in this part, but um, did you have, I forget if we talked about this, but did, you know, did, did you write it with an actor in mind? So we had a couple, I mean, sort of ideas at the time, you know, this, I mean, before Michael Keaton did dope sick, you know, we had talked about him as an idea, um Woody yeah Mitch Mm -hmm. pitched a a very interesting idea that I would be curious about David Letterman um (laughs) which I I mean such a dream yeah um you know we were wanting a guy where it was difficult to tell if they're serious or not right I mean clearly intelligent and just like is this person fucking with me or not you know you want that type of off balance person you know um who is genuinely a decent you know at the core decent person i mean you know adam was you know a type that we thought could work trying to think of who else we talked about john malkovich (laughs) you know just like yeah just i mean the fact is you have a role you know you don't always have this in a script where it's just like this is a role an actor is going to want to play like they're in pretty much every scene they've just got like you know dark stuff and like but but they they're they have a saintliness and i mean it's just such actor bait this yeah well, i mean we had that. talked about like, we don't know jason alexander but we're like oh he would be great and right because you do want i mean you need someone that's formed right i mean like you need, i mean i think brendan once said like you need a guy that like you believe would challenge a bear to a fight not that he would win but right. he yeah. would try yeah. and fight a bear right you know you want a formidable person right who's who i mean again like the real guy is is so brilliant and yeah i mean it really is the kind of thing that you should keep trying to get to actors who might have like people but you you might hear like you know someone who's a big name from another show who's like looking for yeah. their next thing it's just yeah. like because it, it it's it is that kind of Part. And the fact that it has this procedural Thanks. element that maybe a place wants it to have more. I mean, the medical stuff in here, was that like the auto brewery syndrome or whatever? Like, I mean, that would, of, is that from the book? Is that you were an EMT? Is that from your background? So, I mean, look, I mean, obviously the science barely makes sense. We're not, you know, doctors, <laughs> you know, in real. So to be honest, there is this very um, touching hard needle to thread in the book about narcolepsy. And yeah this and it's we really wanted to honor that in the book but it's so we were so sensitive to the idea of it being but a joke i mean because really there is is there's something so charming and sweet so there's these for lack of a bit rare form of narcolepsy that very few people have and it just so happens a couple of them live on the untucket and so Lepery's been treating them and then more of them have come over to be treated by him and then you know it manifests itself in different ways there's this one gentleman who has it where it um whenever he gets sexually aroused that's when he passes out which <laughs> of course you know can be like a real butt of a joke right and yeah like, this is super funny but we also don't i mean these are real people so we're sensitive to that but we wanted i mean with alistair we were fine just like beating the shit out of this guy right because he wasn't real and and he's know, a fancy boy fancy boy yeah. we want something so the auto brewery is from what we can understand it is real i mean we got well Al- alex does have a background so he always had anytime we came up with something he was real like 
I would say his knowledge isn't so immense that like he just is encyclopedic, but he'd know if something was off. And then, and then my, my brother's a medical doctor. Um, And so we called, we called, we called his name's Doyle. Great guy. And we, uh, we called him a lot um, for advice, but I think, yeah, auto brewery, we need it. (laughs) We just Googled, um, how can you be drunk without drinking? No, I had known that from actually okay. that I had okay. known that, from okay. Andons, right? Because that was a rare one. Like um That's right. the diabetic ketoacidosis was like you can appear drunk and not. And then I had heard legend of auto brewery. I'd never seen it, but you know, I'd worked with guys that had talked about, you know, a cop pulling someone over who had sworn they didn't drink and, you know, just reeked of booze and blew the breathalyzer. And so, you know, it exists and it's rare and it's it's one of those pernicious, annoying things that, you know, obviously in a comedy, you don't want, we're not going to deal with a real depressing illness for Alistair, but we want something right. annoying and, yeah. and, you know, that he can- Alex make- has a great, a really great EMT script that, um, wait for it, no one wants to touch. So if anyone's <laughs> listening and looking for yeah. a EMT, it's really great. <laughs> Um, it, well, it just seems like in series that was you were going to need the case of the week. You you were going to have to probably do totally. something akin to what you know scrubs or whatever exactly yeah do, where yes. you have a procedural element just to keep exactly. this going. You have your bigger story story engines of, but you were going to need to to have that. Um, yeah. and, you know, the, and then the also the you know the familial stuff was interesting, and you know I think that's what you know Mitch helped bring out. You know in in what I find so fascinating about the real guy is that he's this prolific doctor and he's so much to this town. And one of his children is a uh, medical malpractice attorney, you know, <laughs> so you can really get into that, you yeah. know, that's a very fascinating. It's thing. almost hacky. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> right. It feels you know, a little but, written. Yeah. But, but it's, it is real. Yeah. And, you know, um, it blew my mind that his name is, it's Lepery. It's not Lepore. Well, so this is another thing. I mean, I'll say it. that demonstrates what pain in the ass the man is. It's Lepore. He insists it's pronounced Lepery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look. But this, it's, it's his version of pronouns. I think. Yeah. yeah. He just died. I mean. He just wants to be difficult. It's yeah. Lepore. It's just straight up Lepore. Sorry, man. It's Lepore. But he goes by Lepery. Fine. All right, we we, we got to you got you got to figure out a way to get him to listen to the table read of of this thing. I am well, so he was in touch with he's still in touch with the author Pam. You know, okay. So get Pam to to make. Sure We're absolutely happen. all over that. I mean, okay. he did. He sent a picture to Pam for us. It was a new chair he got in his office, and it's just all. Is it taxidermy? Is it all? <laughs> I mean, his like, it's like book, a true detective chair. It looks like it's from True Detective. It does. It's, it's not, and it's just in the waiting room. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a good role. It's such an incredible character. Like, don't you know? Don't oh, give up on this thing. No, uh, we will be. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. That's really kind of you. And like, this was so. It was such a treat for us to hear. I mean, you know, everyone was phenomenal, and you know, we. Afterwards, you know, it's mixed emotion, right? It's like, oh, I did a great job. Oh, we wish we had done more for this person. We wish we had written this different. Like, oh, if only this person knew, like, what we wanted to do with them and see it, right? It was, you know, that. We really, it was, it was obviously yeah. thrilling, you know, and, and and so fun. But then also um, kind of crushing because we, we really did see for the first time, like, 
oh fuck it's a show yeah oh shit it's it's a show yeah and, well welcome to the brotherhood of dead pilot society right yeah who all man. feel this who all feel this i know i mean i found out because of your i mean because i'm not the most connected person you know so i don't have the insight but you know every once in a while i'll have a meeting someone will tell me about a great pilot you know at their studio or network thinking oh i really want to work on that and then i'll hear it on your podcast be like oh well now i'm gonna submit over there yeah <laughs> it's the fate of the vast majority of pilots yeah. that get Indeed. it's just it's just how it goes well this oh. was this was so great uh thanks for letting us read it uh it's a it's no, really thank fun. you I, a I, pleasure I, man someday someday i want to see this tim tim leppery on my tv that means um, a lot. let's you. keep a good thought yeah, yeah for sure all right thank you alex thank you brendan thank you a pleasure Andrew. thank you so much man you're so welcome thank you all right, I hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back next month with another great Dead Pilot. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Findling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. Uh, the best thing you could do if you like this show, the very best thing, no, it's not to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, even though that would be great. That's not the best thing. The best thing would be to tell a friend about us. Think about who you know that might be interested in this show and tell them about us. That would be so helpful. And you can follow us on social media to find out all the latest. Like I said, follow us on social media uh, on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod, on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. Um, Noah handles all this. We're probably on TikTok for all I know. Um, but follow us because we're starting to have more live shows. You don't want to miss out on those. All right. Until next time, be kind to yourself, and for God's sake, be kind to others. I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.